Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Last Sunday, we began this new series called First. Society tells us that if we don't get first, then we are settling for less. And the kingdom of God suggests otherwise to us. Last week, we learned about the principle of first. And we looked at Genesis chapter 4 where God was pleased with Abel's offering, but he was not pleased with Cain's offering. Cain grew his crops, and the Bible says that he eventually got around to bringing God an offering. That in the process of time, eventually Cain got around to bringing God an offering, but he didn't bring his first fruits. His brother, Abel, on the other hand, brought the firstborn of his flock. So he presented his first to God. And I told you last week, God has called dibs on the first. God has called dibs on first things. And God is not satisfied with our leftovers. You can't give God your leftover time. You can't give God your leftover talent. You can't give God your leftover treasure. God says, I want you to trust me with your life. I want the first of everything. And when you give me the first, I will bless the rest. There was a man that went to the doctor because it seemed that his whole body was hurting. Everywhere that he touched, it just seemed to ache. And so he goes to the doctor and he's sitting in the exam room. The doctor walks in and the doctor says, sir, what seems to be your problem today? The man says, doctor, just everything hurts. Everywhere I touch, it hurts. And the doctor said, well, I want you to take your finger and I want you to touch your forehead. So the man takes his finger and he touches his forehead and he says, ow. The doctor said, hmm. He said, will you do me a favor and touch your nose? So the man reaches up and he uses his finger and he touches his nose. Ah. Doctor says, well, let's see. If it affects your arms, touch your elbow. The guy reaches over and touches his elbow and he says, Oh, doctor, it hurts so bad. He says, Touch your knee for me. He reaches over and he touches his knee and just screams out in pain. Doctor says, Do one more for me. He said, Will you, will you touch your big toe? The guy reaches over and he touches his big toe and just screams out in excruciating pain. Oh, it hurts so bad. The doctor said, I think I figured it out. The problem is you have a dislocated finger. <laughs> you see, this man looked at his life, looked at his entire body, and did not realize that it all came down to one thing. Just one thing. It was his finger. Just a dislocated finger was bothering everything else, causing everything else to hurt. You know, life has a way of making us think that everything is going wrong. You know, when you have one aspect of your life that is in trouble, one part of your life that is suffering, it has the tendency to make everything else feel like everything's in trouble. You ever notice that? We are falling apart because one thing, and let me tell you this, if you can get that one thing squared away, if you can get that one thing fixed in your life, suddenly the rest of your life looks a whole lot better. But often it's that one thing and we strive with our own efforts to try and fix it, to make it right. But we often mess it up even worse. Or we throw in the towel and we just concede our defeat. That, that there's nothing that can happen. There's nothing that can be fixed. What if I told you 
that I could tell you how to fix every problem in your life this morning. Would you sit up straight and listen? If I told you that I know for a matter of fact that I can tell you something that will fix every problem in your life, you would sit up and you would listen. I didn't tell you I was going to do that. I just said, what if I told you that I could do that? But, but you know what? Today, I do want to share with you one thing that will make everything else all right. If you can get this one thing down, it will rectify the things that are troubling you. For others in the room that you don't seem to have a care in the world right now, you don't have a problem, you don't have a worry, filter your future concerns because you will have them. In this life, you will have trouble is what, the, uh, what the scripture tells us. Jesus said that. In this life, you will have trouble. So I want you to learn to filter your future concerns through this one thing that I can assure you will be life-changing for you. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are reading words in red. That means this is Jesus speaking. We're going to start reading at verse 19. And I want to remind you, as I did last week, this series, first, is not about money. Even what I'm about to read to you, especially the first part of it, is going to seem like the pastor's up again talking about money. As I told you last week, it affects money, but I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about every area of your life. And that's what Jesus is going to address right now. He's going to address every area of our lives. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And there's your answer. That's what can fix all the problems that you will ever face in life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust that he'll take care of the rest. If we can learn to do that, to seek his kingdom 
first and his righteousness, then we can rest assured knowing God has everything else covered, everything in life. Last summer, we were taking Kendall to drop her off at Lee University for their summer honors program. And on the way there, we're riding down the interstate and, and the entire car is hungry. You ever had that happen to you, riding down the road and the entire family's hungry? And, you know, people start getting grumpy about that time. And so I pulled out my phone, opened an app, opened an app, and I began looking for a Cracker Barrel. Because when you're riding down the interstate, there's nothing better than pulling into a Cracker Barrel. And man, I was already envisioning this in my mind. I was ready for the biscuits. You know, I was ready for, for some jelly to go. There's nothing like Cracker Barrel biscuits and jelly. Man, I love their biscuits and jelly. Um, I, I told the first service, I said, you're okay. You just had breakfast. You guys are ready for lunch. I'm about to make you real hungry. You know what else I like? And I was already seeing this in my mind as I'm riding down the road, looking at an app, trying to find the closest Cracker Barrel. I love, I love their dumplings. Their dumplings are good. I don't like a lot of people's dumplings, but I like theirs. little secret also, if you know your pastor, I don't like chicken on the bone and things like that. You know, I'm very particular about chicken. Well, if you order their dumplings as a side, there's no chicken in it, which is just fantastic. It's got the flavor, but you don't have the chunks of chicken. There you go. Go, to, go there today, mention my name, and you'll get absolutely nothing off your meal. <laughs> and so... I'm riding down the road. I'm envisioning this in my mind. My taste buds are all geared up for it. And I'm looking, and, and, and I'm not telling you if I'm driving or not. I mean, it, that's just beside the point. But I, I'm looking at my phone, and as, as I'm looking on this app, trying to find the closest Cracker Barrel, would you believe that I drove right by an exit where you can see a Cracker Barrel from the interstate, but I missed it because I'm looking at my phone trying to find a Cracker Barrel? Went right by it. The very thing that I'm looking for, I missed because I was looking on my phone trying to find it. And I'm afraid sometimes that many of us are seeking something that will satisfy our cravings as we drive right by it, staring into our phone, searching for something that will satisfy our cravings. Some of you need to hear that again. I'm, I'm going to make sure I say it right. I'm afraid that many of us are seeking something that will satisfy our cravings as we drive right by it, staring into our phones, searching for something that will satisfy our cravings. In other words, get off your phone. You're going to drive by and you're going to miss it. But that's how life is sometimes. We are so focused on things that we're missing the very thing that we need for our lives. And, and what is arguably his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never heard it, it's an amazing sermon. It's, it's the longest sermon in the Bible by Christ. And, and Jesus pretty much in this sermon covered the cares of life and he told us what we should seek first. And, and here's what I love about it. He didn't negate that there's things that we need. He didn't say you don't need food, you don't need shelter, you, you, you don't need clothing. He didn't say those things. He, he said that those are the things that the Gentiles are looking for. They're searching for those things. But he says, not so with my father's kingdom. He says, that's not what you look for. He said, if you search first for his kingdom, if you will do that and you will search for his righteousness, if you'll do that first, he says, all these other things will be added to you. So he doesn't ignore the fact that you need this stuff. He just says, get your focus on the right things and all these other things will be added to your life. It's not that having money in the bank is a sin. 
It's not that having a nice home is a bad thing. It's not having a nice car is, is an awful thing for a human being to have. No, it's not bad for you to have food on your table and extra food in the cupboard. It's not a bad thing. It's just that we tend to place our trust in the wrong things when all the while God is saying, before you do anything else, first, first, seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and then I'll take care of the rest. Because when we seek his kingdom, we strive to make his priorities our priorities. To change our thinking by the word of God so that we think as he does on every issue. On every issue. Can you imagine having the mind of Christ like that? Because really, that's what separated Christ in human form. That's what separated him from, from all of us, is that his, minds, his mind was set on the things of the kingdom. That's why he could stay focused for his calling. And then Philippians tells us, let this mind which was in Christ Jesus also be in you. So we've got to learn to have that mind to where we say, first, I'm going to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And when I get that right, I can trust God that you are going to provide the rest of the things that I need in my life. But you have to control your mind to think like God thinks on every issue. To think as he does when it comes to our marriages. You may think that your wife will never change, but God still has hope for her. You might think that your husband is always a moron. God doesn't think that he's always a moron. Sometimes he thinks he's a moron, but not always. What if we begin to filter our marriages through this concept of seeking the kingdom of God first and what God's word, the word of God has a lot to say about marriage. It has a lot to say about serving your spouse. It has a lot to say about being mutually submissive to each other. That just messed some of your theology up. Go check it out. It says it. That men, we are to submit to her needs and she is to submit to our lead. When you get that right, when you follow those, the, 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 those mindsets, and when you get that down in your life, it has the ability to change your marriage. What about thinking the way God thinks about our children? Are our priorities for their lives his priorities for their lives? Are we focused on the same things in the same areas where we want them to grow as God is? Let's talk about sports for a minute. It's the beginning of the year. You got the whole year to forgive me. Let's talk about it. Do you think God is really concerned with how great your kid is in sports? Let me tell you what God's more concerned with on how your kid's light shines when your kid is playing sports. But yet you walk into a gym or walk out to a field and you act like the devil sitting there battling every referee, parent, and player around. Do you think God is really concerned 
that if your kid excels in sports as much as he does if he excels in his word? Now listen, you're hearing this from a parent that is very involved with his son's sports activities. I've coached him since he was a kid. Continue to coach him today. Man, we've got rules in our home. Stuff that we don't even have to think twice about. But if there's a varsity basketball tournament on a Sunday, my son will be in church first. And then eventually, if the tournament's still going on, he'll join the team later on in the afternoon. Well, you're the pastor. You have to do that. I'm more concerned with my son's spiritual growth and the way he's going to lead his family than I am on how many points he's going to score this tournament. Let's talk about academics. Now, there's nothing wrong. We, we absolutely are in favor of education. We want our kids to excel in their academics. But when you become more concerned with grades for your children than God for your children, the priorities are wrong in your life. Not that that shouldn't be a priority. Let me, let me tell you something that, that drives us crazy as, as pastors. And I was a youth pastor for nine years. Pastor Andrew was a youth pastor. Uh, pastor Josh, he, he is a youth pastor now. And let me tell you the things that bother us. Things that bothered me then, that bother, bothered Andrew, bothers Pastor Josh now. I'm telling you, when parents will not allow their kids to come to church on, on Wednesday night when access is taking place, when our student ministry is thriving because they have homework. Or you want to punish them and restrict them from coming to church because they enjoy coming to church. Well, you're welcome that they enjoy coming to church because we work hard at it. Who wants their child to dread going to church? Man, I, I've been there. I know, Pastor Josh, I know what it feels like to pour your heart into it. All week long, you prepare for a youth service, and you're believing God is going to speak to these students, and then you find out that, that Billy can't come because Mama's restricting him from, from church. From church. Man, find something else to take away. Don't let him watch TV for a year if you have to, but don't let him stay out of God's house. What if we begin to think the way God thinks about our children, or, or what about this? What if we think about the way God thinks about our careers? Is God so worried about your career that he requires you to neglect your family? Well, pastor, it's only for a season. Let me tell you something about only for a season. I thought it was only for a season. I was in ministry, and it was one of the busiest times of our lives. And I was neglecting my family, and I almost lost my family because I was so busy with my career. It takes one to know one. I've been there. I know. And I also know that your job is not worth more than the time you will spend with your family. It's not. You need to sanctify and consecrate and set aside the time that is to be spent with your family. King Henry IV of France once asked the Duke of Alva if he had observed the great eclipse of the sun that had recently occurred. And the Duke said, no, I have so much to do on the earth that I have no leisure to look up into heaven. And I wonder sometimes if that's not a good description of where our lives are at. That we have so much going on on this earth that we forget to look up to heaven. That we don't have time to focus on the things that God wants to focus on. That we don't 
make it a priority for our lives to say, God, I don't care what else is happening. I want to think the way that you think. Let this mind which was in Christ Jesus also be in me. And I want to think the way that you think. Listen, if you're too busy for God, you're just too busy. You need to eliminate something else in your life, but don't eliminate God. And while I'm here, let me just go ahead and just step on these toes. What if we think about politics the way God thinks about politics? And let me tell you, the Bible is full of politics. It's full of it. From the beginning, Genesis, all the way to the end, there are political leaders mentioned all throughout. Some that God put into place, others that, that the Bible says all authority has been put into place by God. Oh, I'm about to just lose so many of you right now if I keep going in this direction. I didn't say I agree with every administration. I'm just saying the Bible says that God has put them there. And, and I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it. This is extra. I didn't even tell the first service this, but it just hit me. You ready? God puts all authority in place is what the Bible says. Sometimes he puts that authority to lead us into a time of consecration, to lead us into a time of repentance. Other times, he, he will put them there to force us into it. I'll let you figure out what the current administration is doing. That's for you to figure out. But God puts them there, and then the Bible has a response on how we are to respond to that authority. Some of you would not know God's thoughts on politics if it hits you in the face. And you won't walk out of here today and seek his thoughts because you're too comfortable in your own kingdom. And that's where the problem is at. Your kingdom is your biggest problem. My kingdom is my biggest problem. When I try to exalt my kingdom, when I try and wear my crown, it messes up everything. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are. We all set up our own kingdoms from time to time. It doesn't matter if you are the king of a remote tribe in Africa or you are the queen of England. You still want it your way. It's because we are power hungry. We are power hungry. We may not want to rule and reign over everybody else, but we want to rule and reign over our lives. And power, it has no respect for your social class. So it doesn't matter how much money you make or don't make. Your mind has the ability to make your bad ideas for your life look like the next Pulitzer Prize winner. And we have to see that and we have to recognize that our kingdoms will never work. That we must tear our kingdoms down. We've got to learn to lay our crowns at the foot of the cross. And realize that when Jesus said first, will you say that? Say first. Say it again. When Jesus said first, seek first the kingdom of God, that when we do that, it prioritizes our thought patterns. It has the ability to change every aspect of your life. Seeking the kingdom of God first acknowledges that he is king and you're not king. It declares... God, I'm not in charge of my life. You are. And I'm going to trust that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Even when it's falling apart around me, even when I'm walking through hell, Lord, I will trust that you are still king and you are still sovereign and you're still on the throne. And so, God, I'm laying my kingdom down. I'm laying my crown down. And I, I admit that I need to seek the kingdom of God first. You can't serve God with what you want. 
You must give him what you have and trust that he will give you what you need. Listen, I'm not even going to show, ask for a show of hands this morning on how many of you played the lottery. My wife informed me in between services that nobody won. Not that she was looking at her lottery, you know, lotto cards. That's not what's happening. She heard me say this during first service, and she told me, how much did you say it's up to? 1.7 billion. 1.3? Sorry. 1.3 billion. That makes a difference. There's a half a dozen people that walked up to me this week and said, Pastor, if I win, we're going to build that church. You're slap tooting, we're going to build that church. We're going to build this church. We're going to build that church. We're going to build that church, that church. We're going to go to Guatemala. We're going to build some churches down there. Then we're going to go all over the world and build churches if you win the lottery. I don't want it all. Just pay your tithe on it. That's all I want. You can't serve God with what you want. You must give him what you have and trust that he will give you what you need. Should I buy that new car? Should I build that new house? Should I pursue that promotion? He's not up to leaving you in the dark on any of this. If you think that God doesn't want you to know the answer for all of those questions and more, that you are sadly mistaken. He wants you to know. But, but I'll tell you, like I've said many times, if God's not speaking, maybe he is speaking. And until you hear him speak, maybe you just need to sit still, be still, and know that he is God. And too many of us, were out there making these decisions and we're not seeking his kingdom first and we're not seeking his righteousness and we're getting ourselves in trouble. Proverbs 3 and verse 6 says, Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. If you trust God's word, if you believe that this is the living word of God, if you believe this is truth, then you should seek him in all that you do, every decision that you make, Seek his kingdom first in every decision. And the promise is he will show you which path to take. And if he's not speaking, just sit still until he does speak. Don't you end that marriage. Don't you, don't you buy that house. Don't you buy that car. My wife will tell you in everything that we do. I know I said a few minutes ago, is God really concerned with your kids in sports? My wife was sitting up in the stands with 3.6 seconds left on the clock. And we're about to inbounds the ball, go down the, the, the full length of the court. And my wife is sitting up in the stands and starts praying for my son. God, I know that you can do this. I know that you can hit him hit this shot. My man hits the game-winning shot. Mandy's about to shout and rejoice all over the place up there. I look up, she's doing a helicopter up there and all kinds of stuff. You pray. You pray and you trust God with the rest of it. You pray and you trust him. He says, my sheep will know my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. And the problem is we're hearing voices, but it's not God's voice. And God says, you sit still until I show you the path. Seek his will and all you do, and he will show you which path to take. 
Your kingdom is what is keeping you from experiencing the benefits of his kingdom. Because you can't serve two masters is what Jesus said. You can't have your kingdom exalted and his kingdom exalted at the same time. You can only have one or the other. And not only can we attain his kingdom, Jesus said we can attain his righteousness. Now listen, this is good for some of you. You've got to get this. You've got to grab it today. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That means when you stand before a holy God, when you are covered with your righteous acts, it looks filthy. It looks like tattered clothing. It looks like dirty clothes. And when you stand before God under your acts of righteousness, it just looks like a mess. But Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because when you are clothed with his righteousness, you will look different to the world around you. They will look at you and realize there's something different about that person. It's another new year. Some of you, what, were two weeks in and you have already broken your New Year's resolution. Already. Another new year and you're still struggling with the same habits, still struggling with the same addictions. You've almost accept, accepted them as a permanent part of your life. And, and here's the thing. They are a permanent part of your kingdom, but they are not a permanent part of his kingdom. And you're trying to walk out your life living under your acts of righteousness when you've got to seek his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you begin putting on his cloak of righteousness, you look completely different, not only to the world around you, but to the God that you serve. It's the one thing that can make a huge difference in your life. And if we get this wrong, not only will we not attain his kingdom and we will not attain his righteousness, but we will probably miss the secondary things as well. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other needs that you have in your life, they will be added to you. Don't focus on those things. Focus on his kingdom, his righteousness, and I'll add all of that to you. Now, the word added is a mathematical word. It implies that when we get this right, something is going to be added to your life. Something of value is going to be added to your life. And so you have to understand, you have to wonder in your mind, God, if I start, if I start now, if I start seeking your kingdom first, if I start seeking your righteousness first, if I do that, God, how different is my life going to look when you start adding things to my life? It has to be eating you up right now. You must be wondering, what is it? What am I going to get? God, what are you going to add to my life? In closing, I, I don't want to turn there, but I want to talk to you about it. In, in the book of Second Chronicles, there's a king of Judah named King Asa. And the Bible says that King Asa led the nation of Judah. It was Israel. He led them through 10 years of rest. How many of you would love to have just 10 years of rest? Wouldn't that be good? I'm telling you, I am exhausted right now. I told my wife yesterday, I said, I'm so tired. Just pastoring and, and trying to fulfill all my duties here and being an assistant coach for the high school basketball team. I'm just wore out. 
three nights this week getting in after 11 o'clock. I, I, I just, I know it's my sob story right now, but I've got the mic and you don't. But um, <laughs> what I wouldn't do for 10 years of rest. And in a time of war, when nations were warring against nations, a decade of rest, of peace, sounds really good to a nation. It was unheard of. And King Asa, because of his standard of living, leads this nation into a decade of rest. The Bible says King Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, that he tore down altars that were built by previous administrations. He tore down those altars to false gods. It said that he went out and he began to build cities, new cities, planting cities, and he built these cities with walls and with towers, gates and bars. He fortified the cities that he was building. And you can find the answer in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 4 where it says King Asa commanded Judah commanded the nation to seek the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said, it, it, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. And for 10 years they had rest and there was no war. God gave them peace during that time. And here's what you need to realize is that when you are at a time of peace in your life, that's when you really need to start seeking his kingdom. That's when you really need to start seeking his righteousness. See, so many of us, we only seek his kingdom and his righteousness near the time of war. Whenever we're in trouble, that's the only time we'll hit our knees and we'll say, God, this is what I need for my life right now in this moment. But it's during a time of peace when there's no war, when there's no activity taking place that you better find God more than you've ever found God before. You better fortify the walls around your life and you better make it strong because I can promise you the, the, the enemy is going to lead, uh, unleash an attack on your life. Second Chronicles 14 and verse 7 says, King Asa is talking to the people and here's what he tells them. He says, we sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. They prepared during those times. The Bible tells us that King Asa had an army of 580,000 men. Now, that sounds like a lot. When you think 580,000 men serving in the army, the problem is Ethiopia comes in and their king brings one million men to war, almost double the size of the army of Judah. It's during that time that King Asa hits his knees. He starts crying out to God. And the Bible tells us that God defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. I love that the Bible words it this way. Because it was that one man that commanded that nation, seek the kingdom of God, seek the Lord. And when the Bible says that that the Lord defeated the Ethiopians, it makes sure that it says he defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. Singling out that one king, that one man, that because of what you have done, I am bringing victory to your life because you led your nation, because you led your household to seek the Lord. I'm going to bring victory into your life. The Ethiopians fled, and Asa and his men followed them, and the Bible says that they killed them all. 
in return, God releases them to plunder their cities. And so they go through and they take things of value. And it says that they return to Jerusalem with an abundance of sheep and camels. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we get to experience the abundance of what the enemy is trying to steal from us. The very thing that the enemy wants to destroy in your life, your marriage, children, your career, the very thing that he is trying to destroy is the very thing that you will gain more of. That he will give you victory when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first because all these things will be added to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.